Welcome to the Pokes Podcast. I'm Jacob Longin, Coordinator of Communications and Marketing for the College of Arts and Sciences at Oklahoma State University. As such a large and diverse college, we have alumni succeeding in countless industries. On this episode, I interview a great and unique example, Val Castor, Senior Storm Tracker for News 9. Val is a 1985 graduate who's being honored as a Department of Geography's Outstanding Alumnus for 2019. We talk about how he got into storm chasing, what it's like to work with his wife in life or death situations, and why the movie Twister is entertaining but not a documentary. You've been with Channel 9, right, since 91? Yes. Had, did you do storm chasing before that? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably for about five years before I uh, actually got to Channel 9, uh, I did storm chasing on my own. Hmm. So while I was a, a meteorology student down at the University of Oklahoma, uh, that's where I learned how to storm chase. Hmm. So what we would do is we would get together with some of our friends and, and other students uh, in meteorology, and we would, that's, that's basically where I learned how to chase. Hmm. The first couple of chases that I went on was with uh, some older, more experienced uh, students that already knew how to chase, mm. and that's how I kind of learned. And then after that, I would just get a couple of my wild and crazy friends from the uh, meteorology department, <laughs> and we would go out there. And now I wouldn't recommend this to everybody that's out there that just go out and start chasing, but that's kind of how I did it. We just would go out and and uh, pick a good day that looked like there was going to be storms, and go out and learn how to storm chase. Mm. And and in those days. I mean, there's so much. We, we didn't have near as much equipment mm. as we have today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, uh, it was like the dark ages back then for storm chasing. All I had was a handheld scanner, mm-hmm. right? And we would we'd listen to the NOAA weather radio, mm-hmm. and we'd also listen to just whatever Skywarn spotters or ham radio operators or uh, civil defense spotters that there might be out chasing storms and just hope that we could find one that was in the area that we were wanting. Mm. I was all set to work for the National Weather Service Mm. uh, when I was supposed to get out of college. But um, I started storm chasing, obviously, when when I was a student there. And then in the spring of 1991, one day, just out of the blue, I called Channel 9 and I wasn't expecting to get to talk to anybody, Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, I was surprised when the uh, switchboard patched me through to the Weather Center. Mm-hmm. And so Alan Mitchell answered the phone. He was our uh, number two meteorologist back then. And I just said, well, I'm a, I'm a meteorology student at OU and you know, I chase storms. Do you guys need anybody to chase storms? And uh, he said, you know what? We don't hire anybody to chase storms. I mean, that's, uh, we just don't do that. And we send out our reporters to do that. But I'll tell you what we'll do. Um, <clears throat> if, uh, if you want to come up here to the station, what we'll do is we'll lend you one of our cell phones, mm. which in those days was the Motorola bag phone. Mm-hmm. You can call us and we'll give you radar information over the phone, mm. tell you where the storms are and help you out. And then when you get tornado video, you can bring it to us. Mm. Well, I wasn't getting paid, <laughs> you know, but uh, it didn't really matter because I was pumped, you know, I'm, I'm chasing for Channel 9. That's mm. pretty cool. One day, uh, the first day we went out was April 12th, and I ended up getting video of a pretty decent little tornado up near Marshall, Oklahoma. Mm. So I brought the video in. Gary was, uh, I got to meet Gary at that point, 
And so he was pretty excited about it, even though I wouldn't get paid. You know, he was excited, and he gave me a, a Channel Nine jacket, mm. <laughs> you know, that he had in the closet there. So the next time we went out was April 26th of 1991. It was a big outbreak that day across Kansas and Oklahoma. A lot of tornadoes. Uh, if you remember the Andover tornado back then happened that day. Well, we actually end up getting video of three tornadoes. One of them was almost a mile wide F4 mm -hmm. that um, happened uh, east of Enid over to near Red Rock, just north of Stillwater, not too far. And uh, the Channel 9 photographers that day didn't really get anything. And so, needless to say, they were really, really happy. You know, they were so happy they gave me an autographed book, one of Gary's books, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but at that point, he said, well, we got to find a way to get you on here, mm. you know, chasing storms. He was, he was kind of excited about that. Uh, and, and Gary knew that management would never go for hiring anybody just for chasing storms because nobody really did it back mm. then. So when there was, an, there was an opening on the floor camera for the five, six, and 10 o'clock news, mm -hmm. okay, operating a camera. Well, I had no experience operating camera, but he got me on there anyway. So I learned how to operate a camera. I got yelled at a lot by the director, <laughs> you know, pan left, pan right, no, focus, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, but that kind of started a process, and Gary, as soon as I got on at Channel 9, he had me training people on how to chase, okay? Mm -hmm. I would train the photographers and the reporters, and each time we went out, you know, every couple of weeks, he'd put somebody different with me. Mm -hmm. And I was driving their vehicles at that point. Uh, and also, he actually put me in front of, he put me in a big conference room and told me to teach everybody in the station how to chase. And so here I am, just fresh out of college, watching all these people on television, mm -hmm. and I've got the news anchors, you know, Jennifer Reynolds and Kelly Ogle and all the, the people that I'm having to stand in front of him is kind of nerve-wracking, you know, at that point. But, you know, I knew the content. I taught them some things about, you know, storm chasing. And uh, so I was the first chaser that Channel 9 hired. Now we have six two-man teams that go out. So over the years, it has grown like that. And so that's how I got started. And, uh, of course, David came on in 2013. And uh, we're just continue to grow. What do you say to people who are amateur storm chasers? Do you, do you discourage <laughs> that? Do you feel like it's okay if you are careful? Ever since the movie Twister came out, mm -hmm. we have been seeing a lot of amateur storm chasers on the roads. I mean, there was a handful before that, but after that movie came out, everybody wanted to do it. <laughs> I mean, the road just every year it gets more and more packed. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people out chasing, and there's on some days, especially in May, you know, after colleges have let out and school has let out and people want to take their chase vacations, I guess you could say, they come out to the plains mm -hmm. and they chase storms. So some days, on the big days, when there's especially where there's just one or two major storms, everybody will be on that storm. And, and I have seen as many as 300 cars, mm. you know, packed down a road with traffic jams in the middle of nowhere in the wide open plains. So, I mean, it's gotten to the point to where, you know, we when we see that, we'll just start taking dirt roads, mm -hmm. you know, and go around everybody. But what I would say to amateur chasers, I mean, uh, is just be careful. I mean, I can't tell anybody that they can't chase. I mean, it's a free country. You guys mm -hmm. can do what you want. 
I'm glad no one told me I couldn't chase when I first started. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to discourage everybody, but um, at the same time, I am going to say to be extremely careful when you first start out. And uh, the way I learned was going with some older, more experienced chasers to start with. Mm -hmm. And so I would suggest people wanting to learn to do that mm -hmm. and to go with someone that's experienced for probably at least a year mm -hmm. uh, before you know you start venturing out on your own because you know all it takes is one mistake yeah. and that's it. And you you mentioned Twister. I wanted to ask you about that. I remember because of course I've known you for a little over 20 years. I remember having a conversation with you when Twister first came out. Okay. And of course, we didn't we didn't have the two decades of um, hindsight that we do now. Um, what do you think about that movie? About the movie Twister? Yeah. Uh, it was entertaining. Mm -hmm. You know, we watched it. We liked it. I mean, that was, it. at one point, that was our favorite movie, you know. <laughs> um, and I would have to say that, that they did a pretty good job making it pretty realistic. I mm -hmm. mean, it's pretty hard to make a tornado look realistic, you know, and, and still make it all entertaining. But uh, some of their tornadoes look pretty realistic, mm. like the last one looked look pretty good. The very big one. Right. Some of them, y you could tell, I mean, that it was a stretch, uh, like when you saw the cow mm -hmm. floating over the road. Yes. You know, the thing I say about that is if, uh, if you're in that area of the storm where you have a cow floating over you, you're going to be flying also. Yeah. You know, it's pretty simple. If the cow's flying, you're going to be flying. I remember having it, that exact conversation with you because <laughs> I was saying the same thing. I was saying, yeah, it sure seems like if the cow, I think in the movie the cow actually like circles them, right? I think Cause, so. Because she points out like there's the cow again. It's like, wait a minute. You're being circled by a cow. You're, you're in trouble. So now, We've uh, seen cows flying. Yeah. But from a distance, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. from a quarter of a mile, maybe a little less than that away. But... Um, also, the part in the movie about them strapping themselves with a belt, mm -hmm. you know, to the plumbing that was coming up, that's not going to work. Mm. So don't try that at home. Will it not work because you'll get hit by things or it will just snap the belt? Both. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it will not work because you'll be getting impaled yeah. by things flying <laughs> in the air. Because, you know, I've been told, I've heard it said before that uh, it's not the wind. Mm. It's what's in the wind. Mm -hmm. It's what's blowing in the wind. So, um, you know, you might have in a, in a large tornado, you might have a 180 or 200 or 220 mile an hour winds, mm -hmm. you know, and the winds are bad enough. They might blow you and roll you along the ground, but it's what's the dangerous part about that is what's in the wind that's blowing, like mm -hmm. rocks and bricks and pieces of tin and sheet metal off of barns and two by fours. Mm. You know, so that's that's the dangerous stuff. So you uh, completed your geography degree at OSU in mm -hmm. 85, is that right? Yes, I actually graduated uh, officially in 85, but it was 86 th that I left and really went through the 86 graduation ceremony there. And did you go straight to OU I at did. that point? Okay. Yeah. So what was the draw then for you? You're, you're studying geography. Mm-hmm. To me, in my brain, that's not that closely related to weather, to meteorology. What, why did you make that switch? That's a long story. <laughs> you know, coming out of high school, uh, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. like a lot of other people. And so um, a lot of my friends were coming to OSU. Now, I knew I loved weather, but um, at that point in my life, I just didn't know enough about it 
to know that there was careers involved in meteorology and all that kind of stuff. And so all my friends were coming to o- OSU, and so that's where I went. And I just took business, general business courses. Mm. Um, I was going to do a business major at that point. Uh, even though I loved weather, you know, I, I figured that, um, you know, business, there would be money, you know, in, mm. in business to get a business management type degree. So that's kind of what my degree was at that point. Well, it didn't take too long to realize that um, I really wasn't very interested in a business management degree, but I was more interested in weather and that kind of stuff. And so OSU didn't offer a degree in meteorology. The closest thing they came to that was geography, physical Mm -hmm. geography. So um, somewhere along the way, after a couple years uh, at OSU, I finally figured out that uh, if if I want to pass, I had better switch over to something that I enjoy or that I like, that I have an interest in. Mm -hmm. And so um, I switched over to geography Mm -hmm. and my my grades improved dramatically. I I loved it. You know, um, I remember one of my favorite classes, Dr. Stadler Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in geography had a class, a geography class that had a meteorology section in it. And uh, boy, that was good. That was interesting. You know, I love that. I learned, you know, about dry lines and mm-hmm. about weather and stuff like that uh, in that class. But I just decided that I might as well go ahead and pursue a degree in meteorology. So uh, I finished out my geography degree at mm-hmm. OSU, and in the meantime, I started taking classes that would transfer mm-hmm. to OU, uh, and that would count towards the meteorology degree. Mm-hmm. Some of the hard classes, like you know, Calc 2 and 3 and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I did that and I graduated and then I immediately transferred to OU and then uh, got the meteorology degree. Mm. You were saying earlier um, when you started chasing it was the dark ages, I think is how you put it. (laughs) I would imagine there was a lot of uh, looking at maps back then. Oh yeah. Did your grounding in geography, did that help you then understanding maps and looking at those kinds of things? Because I imagine today you're not flipping physical maps hardly ever. Yeah, you know, your question about uh, did my training in geography, mm. you know, help with the map, looking at the maps, and absolutely. Mm. I mean, um, that's, that's what we learned in geography. Part of what we learned uh, was mapping and not just, uh, you know, like uh, cities and streets and mm. that type of mapping, but also physical geography and terrain and stuff like that. So all of that training in geography helped out in my chasing because back in those days when we first started, we didn't have a GPS map like we do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we had was paper maps. You know, we had uh, road maps of Oklahoma, and we also had something called the, I believe it was the county maps. Mm-hmm. It was a big book about yay big that uh, that had every county in Oklahoma. It had topographical Mm. and it had roads. It had all the dirt roads and the section line roads and that kind of stuff. And so um, we had to know how to use that. So whatever county we got in, we had to figure out where we were Mm. to see if this road went through this dirt road. Mm. And I can tell you a lot of times it didn't go through. (laughs) And a lot of times we'd come up to a cattle guard or the end of the road and had to turn around and go back. Mm. But uh, yes, that did help. So um, I know that you chase with your wife, Amy. Yes. And of course, you have a lot of resources now that you didn't have before, but um, is it possible for someone to even successfully chase by themselves at this point? 
Uh, I would say it's possible. It's not advisable mm -hmm. um, because it's not very safe. Mm -hmm. When you're chasing, uh, first of all, you're driving a vehicle, mm -hmm. all right, and you're, you're usually in a hurry uh, <laughs> to follow storms because mm -hmm. storms don't slow down and stop for people. So you're having to drive, but at the same time, you're having to look at maps. Mm -hmm. uh, you're having to look at weather maps. You're having to look at weather conditions like the mesonet and radar and all kinds of stuff like that that distracts you from driving, mm -hmm. right? So it is far safer to have a partner uh, mm -hmm. that can do that kind of stuff so that you can concentrate on the road. So when you're chasing now, are you just focused on the road and Amy is looking at all the maps and things? Yeah, when, I'm, when we're chasing now, mm -hmm. Amy uh, operates uh, the, the camera. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have a roof camera on our truck uh, that doubles as a night vision camera. Um, so she is responsible for operating the cameras. She's also responsible for doing all the social media because we do a lot of Facebook live streaming mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, um, which is actually coming up big in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. uh, she's also um, watches the radar. She, you know, the radar, you know, we can, we can watch reflectivity on the radar. We can also have to switch over to velocity, and it, it's kind of hard for me driving to switch back and forth on the radar to look. So she looks at velocities and helps with that kind of stuff. Now, as I'm driving, I'll be talking on the phone. Mm. I've got headphones that I wear to make it safer. Mm -hmm. So what I'm doing is mainly driving and talking to David and the other meteorologist at the station, and she's doing everything else that would distract me from driving. Mm. When you first met her, did you think it was cool but uh, terrifying that you did this? I mean, was she worried about you? Did she ever say you should not do this? Well, she was storm chasing on her own okay. when I first met her. Okay, she was driving this little 1984 GMC Jimmy that was on its last leg, okay? <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I had to come pull her out of the mud. Mm. You know, when I was chasing, when she was out on her own and she would call me and say, where's the storms gonna be? And, and then she would be somewhere in Lincoln County stuck in the mud and I'd go pull her out. <laughs> um, but so she learned, she was chasing when she was going to school here at OSU mm -hmm. on her own. And so that's kind of how we met is that she contacted Channel 9 and, and was wanting to do a senior project, mm -hmm. you know, about weather. And so they contacted me. So I guess I became her senior project. Mm -hmm. And it's still going. <laughs> and it's still going. That's right. <laughs> we started chasing together, and, uh, you know, she saw her first tornado with me in 1998, and mm. this was up in northwest Oklahoma, and we got pretty close to that tornado. She thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, and it was an anti-cyclonic tornado spinning the wrong way, which is pretty rare also. Mm. And then, and she was actually following me that day in, in her car, and uh, the first time that she actually chased with me was in June of 98. And uh, that was the day that uh, the Lake Hefner in Oklahoma City, there was a tornado that formed on Lake Hefner. Mm. And we were right there in Britain watching out over the lake and we started seeing the spray rotating on the lake. And, it, and then it formed into a tornado. It was exciting mm. the way it happened. Damaging, ended up being pretty damaging, but it came through a sailboat dock mm. over there where all those sailboats are stored. We started seeing sailboats flying around, mm. you know, and stuff like that. But when that tornado passed, um, we started getting the wraparound RFD 
and I actually measured 105 miles an hour on my anemometer, just rocking the truck. I mean, she got nervous on that one. That's the <laughs> first time she experienced that kind of wind. You know, uh, you can hear it on our video if you go back and look at it. But um, she stayed. Mm. She stayed with us and even married me. So I guess it wasn't too bad. That's got to be a very high-stress environment. What is it like to be... I know my wife and I have done some projects where we're stressed out and it's... Uh, but you never argue. Uh, well, <laughs> we, we certainly... Uh, we've never been in a life-or-death situation together. Right. So mm. what is that like to be with someone you love? And, I mean, you're... you're Essentially, you're battling to survive together. Yeah, and it is a high-stress environment. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been moments, <laughs> we'll just say that, um, but we've kind of learned how to work together mm -hmm. pretty well, and uh, we've kind of learned what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, I've kind of learned how to judge when she's thinking something and what her needs are, and she's kind of learned how to judge the same thing about me. So there was one point I'm thinking about right now that... Um, it was in the Texas Panhandle. This was like last year, maybe a year and a half ago, hmm. uh, in the eastern, just about to the border of Oklahoma. And there was this tornado that we'd been watching come up and come down, and then it came down pretty good size. And it was south of us moving northeast, east-northeast, hmm. okay? We had a straight east road. It was on her side, okay? I couldn't see it, mm -hmm. you know? And she's like, okay, you can make it. You can make it. You can beat it. Just go. And I kept looking over there and seeing uh, these trees come out of the ground. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. And she's like, oh, just go, just go. And we kind of, I, I could tell, you know, she was getting more and more nervous about it. And so I just floored it, you mm. know, and we beat it barely mm. across the road. And it was getting bigger all the time. But we've had those kind of situations before. And, um, you know, the short answer to that is we just, we pray sometimes. Mm -hmm. Not sometimes. We pray a lot. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to pray quickly and fast. I've, I've offered up many uh, desperate prayers, mm -hmm. you know, but we just, we just rely on God to keep us safe. We know that we're in God's will mm -hmm. doing what we're doing because it's kind of a calling, I guess you could say. Um, and we just trust God to keep us safe. Mm. If you could tell me about your scariest moment, storm chasing, that certainly sounds like one. Mm -hmm. I imagine you've got a lot of them. We have a lot of them. Is that, yeah. is that the scariest one you've had? No, um, we had a scary moment in uh, in the May 31st El Reno tornado. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just start with that one because that was the biggest. I wouldn't say that was the scariest moment, but that tornado, uh, we had to core punch the storm mm -hmm. to get to that tornado. We had, those of you out there that don't know what that means, core punching is a term used by storm chasers to describe going through the heavy rain and hail core. Mm -hmm of a storm to get to the spot where the tornado is. Otherwise, we would have to circle around and wait a lot longer. Mm -hmm. So core punching gets us there quicker. But at, when the day started, there was another storm that kind of suckered us north, mm -hmm. okay? So we followed the first storm, it took us north, but then we could see this storm formed and we had to quickly go back to the south. Mm -hmm. So we had to punch through the core coming from the north and we had tennis ball, softball even, size hail. Wow. Winds, heavy rain, but then when we came out of the core, we could see the tornado ahead of us to the east. Mm -hmm. And it was big, and it was actually multiple vortex, which means there were three sub-vortices mm -hmm. spinning around a central location, and this thing was forming and getting bigger. 
So we saw it, it was about two miles away when we first saw it, but we quickly got to it. Mm. Okay, so I parked maybe a quarter of a mile from it. All right, and so we're looking straight east at it, stopped, and first thing I noticed when I stopped was the wind is just rushing from behind us into the tornado at probably 80 miles an hour. Mm. Okay, making the truck just kind of go like this, right? So then I looked up and what we call the lip of the wall cloud, the edge, was so close to the ground and it was just cruising so fast, it was screaming south above us. And it was expanding westward like this. So this tornado was growing and it was just coming like over us. And so I'm thinking, man, this thing's getting bigger. This is probably gonna be the biggest thing I've ever seen. The biggest, I mean, circulation I, I've seen of something at that stage it was growing. Mm -hmm. So um, that tornado started growing, expanding and coming, even though at that point it was moving slowly to the southeast and east, it was growing in size coming over us. Mm. That made us a little nervous and we started backing up. <laughs> we probably backed up a quarter of a mile to a half a mile mm. down the road as we were shooting video out the front. I'm like, keep shooting, I'm gonna back <laughs> up, you know? So I'm glad we did. Uh, because that grew to be 2.6 miles wide. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, there was four storm chasers that lost their lives mm. in that tornado because they were caught off guard of how big it was and mm. it surprised them. Mm. So that was a scary moment. You know, we've probably driven into probably three or four, possibly five small tornadoes, actually been hit mm. by small tornadoes. One time it pushed us into the ditch uh, didn't overturn us or anything like that. Um, another time, we had a small tornado form on the road from about barbed wire fence to barbed wire fence was how wide it was. Mm. There was another tornado coming at us and we were racing to get south as this one was coming. And this was a satellite tornado that formed right in front of us. So when we went through it, I was probably driving, you know, 65 or 70 down the road and then it formed mm -hmm. right in front of us. You could see swirling debris and a little bit of condensation and uh, when we went through it, I'm like, I didn't know what to expect. We went through it, just holding on. We got pushed hard right, then hard left, and we could hear little rocks hitting the side of the truck, and then we were out of it, mm. just like that. I know you have six children. Yes. A lot of children. Um, you're as safe as you can be, but the two of you are together, your children are not with you when you're doing this. Um, so w what is that like? We tell everybody that, um, Every now and then we have to get out of the house, you know, <laughs> and so it's like a date yeah. when we go storm chasing. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. Right now they are 19 down to 8. 19, okay. Yeah. And how do they feel about this? They, they think it's pretty cool? Oh, yeah. They want to go. Yeah. Yeah, but we don't really take them, you know. <laughs> the funny thing about that story is, is that, um, I guess there's a lot of funny things mm -hmm. about that, but I, I had a storm chasing partner back then. It, Rob, he also chases at Channel Line now, mm. but um, he wasn't very happy because I had to kick him out because Amy came along, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she came along in 1998, and that's when I started, you know, chasing with her. And uh, so we were due to get married mm. in uh, May of 1999. Uh, I'm I sorry, June of 1999, okay. and the May 3rd, and we were planning for our wedding and all that stuff. It, in May of 1999 was a very, very busy storm mm -hmm. year. I mean, all the outbreaks and stuff that we had and 
you know, the big outbreak on May the 3rd. So that yeah. was a hectic year. And just for our, um, I know we have a lot of students who listen, May 3rd, 99 is long enough ago that they may not know what that means. May 3rd, 99, right. May 3rd, 99 was the big tornado that hit more. Right. Right. Biggest one ever recorded, something like that? Fastest wind, well, something. May 3rd of 1999 was the, a research team from the University of Oklahoma, mm. the Severe Storms Lab, uh, they, they had a mobile Doppler radar mm -hmm. uh, that was going out and trying to get measurements of tornadoes. And they actually measured a wind speed, I believe, of 316 miles per hour mm. of the more uh, F5, the mm -hmm. one that hit more. Actually, it was in Bridge Creek when they measured that, okay. uh, coming right through Bridge Creek. And so uh, we chased that tornado. We followed that thing all the way from when it started all the way up until we couldn't go any further because of blocked roads, mm. you know, in Oklahoma City because of debris. Mm. Okay, and so that happens when you're planning <clears throat> your wedding. Yeah, yeah, we were planning our wedding for <laughs> June of, yeah, June of uh, 1999, and all of this starts happening. But, you know, what you said a while ago, um, for those of you students that might not remember mm. uh, the May 3rd, 1999 tornado, it was an outbreak in Oklahoma, one of the biggest outbreaks that Oklahoma's ever seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, we saw an one F5, we saw, I believe, one or two F4s that day, but mm. we saw a total of about 12 or 13 tornadoes that day. Mm. Uh, it was a big day. I believe there was something like 76, if I don't get wrong, uh, tornadoes in the state that mm. day. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of people died, mm -hmm. you know, and there was a lot of uh, injuries and there was a lot of damage mm. from that. So it was a bad day. And of course, if we're going to talk about the May 99, we have to talk about, I think it's May 2013. Right. When a, another one went through more and followed a similar trajectory. Very similar path. And, and this is like the third one that has followed that similar, because in 03, there was an F4 that mm. came right through more that actually crossed that path. Wow. And then this one on May the 20th of 2013 was very, very close to that path also. Mm. And it was another F5, did a lot of damage. and. Um, so yeah, that May 13, May of 13 was a was a bad month all around because mm. there was a lot of tornadoes that month. May 31st, and this is like, you know, maybe a week and a half later, mm. uh, the May 31st El Reno tornado, which we chased that one also, mm. uh, was the largest tornado ever recorded on the face of the earth. Wow, 2.6 miles wide. Can you believe that? 2.6 miles. 2.6 miles. That's probably bigger than the whole campus here. Mm. That's how big around it was. That's amazing. You were just talking about three tornadoes going through more and all following similar paths. I know I've heard, we really don't know any reason for that. Do you, is there any reason that you're aware of that it would follow a similar path? I've been asked this question before. I think more research needs to be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we don't know for certain. It would be a good research project for somebody to do that. I've got my theories about it. I, I know that the terrain southwest of Moore, you start getting around Blanchard and Tuttle and Newcastle and that area between Chickasha and Blanchard, mm. okay, which the storm would, would come over. It's a rough terrain down there and there's some hills, a lot of hills and stuff like that, and that would tend to increase the low-level wind shear mm. just by the fact that there's some rough terrain. Mm -hmm. And low-level wind shear is what it takes to basically you know, get tornadoes to start to form. Mm -hmm. So if you have a supercell that's already 
strong and it's rotating in the mid-levels, if it goes over an area with enhanced low-level shear mm -hmm. like that, um, that just might be all it takes to get a tornado to form. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's possible. I don't know. I mean, that's just a, a thought. But uh, I guarantee you they need to research that just to see. How well do you know this state? I'm not quizzing you, but you're rattling off towns. You, I'll, I'll bet you've got a pretty good map in your head of where... There's not too many places I haven't been mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. I mean, there, maybe there's a few roads I haven't been down. I mean, we've been pretty much, you know, all over the state. Mm. And, uh, I mean, we chase about probably we're the, the least chased area for us of Oklahoma would be in the far east and the southeast. Mm -hmm. uh, we just, our coverage area for Channel 9 just doesn't go down that far. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of central and western Oklahoma, I mean, we're, we're just all over the place out there. When you're storm chasing, you're, you're saving people's lives. You're helping them figure out where the storm is and people need to get into their shelters and that sort of thing. That's very obvious. But aside from that, what is the value of storm chasing? What are you learning or what are people learning from this? Well, you know, I've been asked this before, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, people ask, so why do we chase? Mm -hmm. Why does Channel Line spend all this money uh, and time and resources and manpower, you know, chasing tornadoes? And, and the answer is, is that we're really doing it to keep people safe, mm -hmm. okay? That, that's for the main reason right there, because in Oklahoma, we have a lot of severe weather, as you guys know. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have dangerous weather. We have life-threatening weather. Not just tornadoes, but also flooding, mm -hmm. uh, windstorms, wildfires, you know, stuff like that. At Channel 9, we figured out that a television station, um, obviously, we need advertising revenue to survive, mm -hmm. okay? that That's how a television station makes money. You know, people watch it. You want to have compelling um, content, you know, so that people viewers will come and watch a television station. And that includes the news coverage and the weather coverage also. Mm -hmm. And then it's the advertising dollars that drive that and that uh, pay everybody's salary and keep us going. But we figured out at Channel 9 that, um, that if we do our jobs and we do it well and we give people accurate and timely weather information, mm -hmm. so much so that they can feel confident that they can watch us to keep their family safe during bad weather, mm -hmm. then we figured out that all of the viewership and those type of issues will take care of itself because people will watch us if they know they can trust us. Mm -hmm. People will watch us and then all of the advertising, all of that stuff will just take care of itself. So that's what we've learned. We've learned that, um, that if we do our jobs and do it well, then everything else will fall into place. Mm -hmm. When we're watching from home and hearing the chief meteorologist and the, the people in the weather center tell us where the storms are, and we hear the same advice over and over, you know, get in your shelter if you have one, get in a, get in a bathtub, get in an interior room in your house. I'm curious if you have any suggestions that aren't the ones we always hear of what somebody should do. If you're in a place that you don't have an underground shelter, do you have any advice for what somebody should do? So, I mean, that, that's a good question because it could be life-saving information. Mm. First of all, um, let's just go over the, the worst places to be mm -hmm. during a tornado. Number one worst place, you don't want to be caught out in the open, mm -hmm. just standing there and letting it hit you, mm -hmm. obviously. The second and third worst places, and it's probably a tie, is being in either a mobile home mm -hmm. or a car mm -hmm. or a vehicle, any type of vehicle like that. 
So you get hit in a car by a big enough tornado, it's going to roll that car and throw that car. I've seen what happens to cars. Mm. Uh, they just look like a tin can that's been wadded up and crushed with all the paint sandblasted off of it. Usually loses its engine somewhere along the way mm -hmm. and every other piece of it. It's bad. Mobile homes um, are probably just as bad because they catch so much wind and they roll and they disintegrate. In the May 3rd tornado, uh, we started coming into the outskirts of uh, Moore mm -hmm. And we started seeing these long frames with uh, sets of axles on them. Mm. And that's all that was left. And like, what are those things? Oh, those are mobile home frames. Mm. And that was chilling yeah. to see that because everything else was gone except for the frame. All right. And so, so you got those things. Probably the next worst place to be would be a not well-built home, such as a wood frame home. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those will be the, the next left the next danger spot. Now, you start getting into homes like we're talking about right now, the, the better built homes like brick homes. Mm -hmm. Let's say that if, if you got a tornado coming and you have no other place to go, you have no shelter, you got no underground shelter like you were talking about mm -hmm. or no safe room, and you're in a brick home. Mm -hmm. All right, so it's a, it's a pretty good well-built home. You can survive most tornadoes in Oklahoma mm -hmm. if you know what to do. Mm -hmm. What you wanna do is you wanna put yourself in the smallest room, mm. and there's a saying that we, we have, smallest room, center part, lowest level. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if it's a two-story house, first thing is you gotta go downstairs. Mm -hmm. Okay, the second thing is you wanna find a small room, such as a bathroom or closet, closest to the center part of the house, because you wanna put as many walls mm -hmm. between you and the outside of the house as possible. Mm -hmm. Just more support and more structure. Now, the reason we say bathrooms is because uh, the walls in a bathroom, it, it's a smaller room, so you got more support, but the walls usually have plumbing mm. going up mm. the walls. So that kind of adds to the support, keeps everything from caving in as quickly right. on you. And then get in the bathtub. You know, on the May 20th Moore tornado, I talked to a family of five. Mm. It was a man and a woman, the husband and wife, and they had three children their house, and I saw their house, it was leveled mm. by the tornado in, in some of the hardest hit area, but every one of those people survived. Mm. They survived in their bathtub. Uh, the littlest one got down first and then the dad was on the top and they just covered up and they walked away from that. Wow. Okay. So um, the bathtub thing, and if you can like keep your uh, bicycle helmets or even football helmets or motorcycle helmets handy, put those on. Mm you know, and because you're protecting your head if, if you do that, and that's from head injuries and stuff like that. Now, obviously, you know, underground shelter or a safe room is, is the best place to be, but if you're in a house, a well-built home, you know, you can survive most of them. And just to uh, address one misconception, I know when I was a kid, they said, you gotta crack a window. They don't say that anymore because <laughs> homes aren't um, airtight, right? Right, and it really doesn't matter if they are or mm. not. The, the advice, like you said, back then used to be go open your windows, mm -hmm. uh, but now don't even worry about the windows. I mean, the tornado will open the windows for you, <laughs> pretty much. Right. Don't, don't worry about opening the windows, <laughs> just uh, go to your shelter and all that. I mean, the thinking was back then was a lot of times you would see houses that exploded outward, mm. you know, and so people used to think 
that there was such a drop in pressure on the outside mm -hmm. that the pressure on the inside made everything explode. Well, we figured out that's not the case. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when that happens, uh, the weakest, biggest door, which is your garage door, will actually get blown in, mm -hmm. and then all that wind will blow in and blow the, the walls kind of outward. That's kind of where that came from. But no, I would leave all the windows closed, just go to your safe spot. Mm -hmm. That truck, for the people listening, obviously they didn't see it when you pulled up like I did, that's a big truck. Uh, <laughs> Pretty good size. How, isn't it? how old is it? It's a 2011, uh, 2011 uh, Silverado, mm -hmm. three-quarter ton, uh, with a Duramax diesel. There's reasons that I want a three-quarter ton truck. Obviously, for how heavy it is. <laughs> right. I used to chase in half tons, mm -hmm. and once I got the diesel three-quarter ton, it's a whole lot heavier, and it's got a lot more power too mm -hmm. for driving. You know, against a tornadic wind if you have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it holds the road better in the wind, being how heavy it is, mm -hmm. and also it uh, when we get into heavy rain situations and we get hyd you know, hydroplaning and ponding on the road, uh, it does hold the road better, mm -hmm. and you don't hydroplane as much. Mm -hmm. That's that's some of the benefits right there. It's a 2011, and already I have about um, almost 300,000 miles on mm -hmm. okay. it. Okay, a lot of driving. Yeah, I was going to ask you that too. Um, and I did notice there are some uh, sponsors on the side of it, like a, right. like a race car. <laughs> yeah. So that's helpful for you. Oh, yeah, exactly. So um, if anybody is listening, by the way, out there that wants to sponsor me, just uh, <laughs> call or send us a Facebook message there. We'd, uh, we've got room for sponsors. But Channel 9 has been real gracious in letting us do sponsorships. Mm. Uh, we even have like a big on-air sponsorship that we do. Yeah, it's getting better. Um, I, I guess as our population, as our popularity increases, uh, we're getting more and more sponsors these days. Mm. But we have tires, we have uh, restaurants that sponsor us, we have um, you know other places that do work on our vehicles, uh, stuff like that, and it really, really helps out. And I mentioned to you that I have seen you driving around town. I'm sure that our um our listeners, if they if they haven't noticed before, they'll notice the big truck at an intersection, you know, because that's what you drive every day, right? That's, that's just your right. running around truck, not just storm chasing. That's right. I drive it around every day. It does attract attention, and I do get stopped, mm. you know, along the way, and people ask, you know, about storm chasing, and a lot of times they'll say, oh, can I go with you? <laughs> that kind of stuff. So what do you do, not just hobbies-wise, but what do you do when you're not storm chasing throughout the months of the year that we aren't having severe weather? Are you just enjoying some time off? You know, my life is pretty busy right now. We have six kids, mm -hmm. and so that takes a lot of time. Um, I'm also heavily involved in my church, which mm -hmm. is Bible Baptist Church here in Stillwater. You know, that's how we spend a lot of our time. Also, not just storm chasing, but we also cover fires, wildfires, mm -hmm. you know, weather-related type stuff. We also cover um, flooding, and we cover whenever there's a chance of windstorms and stuff like that, we cover that. Uh, wintertime weather, and in, in the winter, we do ice storms, we do blizzards, mm -hmm. you know, slick roads, all that kind of stuff. So we've been doing a lot more of that lately, and, and that keeps us busy mm -hmm. also. There is weather year-round, whether it's severe or not, I guess. There is so. weather year-round. Do you still get excited? Do you still have that adrenaline when you're storm chasing especially? Yes. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. And, you know, people have asked, uh, do you ever plan on quitting storm chasing? And, you know, the answer to that would be, 
Um, when I stop getting excited, that'll mm-hmm. be the day I quit. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's still exciting. Every single time we go out, it's exciting, just like it was the first day. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that you would have a scare that would, that's it, I'm done? Uh, I'll never say, you know, nothing's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known a couple of storm chasers that have had such a scare mm-hmm. that they've pretty much stopped, you know, um, especially in 2013 some of those times, but um, I don't know. The answer to the question is I don't know, I hope not. How safe are you in that truck when you're storm chasing? Do, do you, obviously you've been doing this a long time, you're still here. Do you feel like you're, you're safe? Well, um, any vehicle can get picked up by a tornado and get mm-hmm. rolled. Probably the only vehicle that would never get rolled by a large tornado would be like a Sherman tank. Mm or something like that. <laughs> Which wouldn't keep up very well. Yeah, and we'd have to stop for gas stations <laughs> way too often and tear up the roads too. But yeah. it really doesn't matter what vehicle you're in, you're going to be susceptible uh, mm. to getting hit. So the answer to that question is is we uh, use you know, our experience in chasing storms to stay out of the tornado. Mm-hmm. Now we do get close, like uh, I don't know if you saw the video from uh, this year when we were up uh, in southwest Kansas and we had a semi get hit right in front of us. Wow. Uh, Actually knocked over. Uh, We were probably 80 yards from that tornado. Wow. um, Even before it hit the semi. It went across the road right in front of us and knocked the semi over. It's pretty dramatic video. As a matter of fact, uh, there is a documentary going to be done about that. Mm. A uh, production company in England uh, did some interviews with us and mm. got some video and put together a documentary. And so they're going to be doing uh, that's going to be coming out probably either this month or next month, I believe. Mm. How fast does that truck go? And I'll bet you know the answer. Uh, the speed limit. <laughs> <laughs> that's the short answer. <laughs> okay. I do know the answer. How fast could that truck go if if it needed to? Well, that's a good question. Um, The way it's geared, I've got it geared right now not for top speed. Now, the diesel motor has a lot of power. Mm. It's got a lot of torque. If that truck was geared right, and if it wasn't lifted so high, I mean, there's no telling how fast it could go. Uh, But right now, I've got some higher gears put in it because to compensate for the tires, you know, right now, I mean, I, I don't need to be going as fast as that truck could probably go. Mm. So uh, I've got it geared to where it's not gonna go as fast as it could. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's my skirting around that answer right there. <laughs> and is your goal when you're storm chasing, you're, you're basically trying to get right behind the tornado and follow it so it's not bearing down on you? Is that, what, is that in a perfect world? Well, in a perfect world, I would say that we would get parallel with it. Okay. We would get next to it. So in other words, if it's moving northeast, Mm -hmm. then we would stay just southeast of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would be the perfect scenario and go right along with it. But as you know, it it doesn't always happen exactly the way you want to. We've been on all sides of the tornado. Mm -hmm. We've been in front of it. It's been coming at us. We've had to dodge out of the way. At nighttime, when we chase, it's a little bit different. We stay behind the tornado a lot of times at night, Mm. uh, and that's because in the core of the storm, you have lightning. And sometimes at night, the only way you see it is because of lightning. Mm-hmm. Lightning backlights it. So we'll stay behind it because we'll keep the tornado between us and the core or the lightning. 
So, but in a perfect world, if we had the perfect tornado, the, I would say that we would stay, um, you know, east of it as it's moving northeast. Seems like the storms are almost always going northeast. They're always coming, say, to Payne County uh -huh. from the southwest going northeast. Mm -hmm. Why is that? The reason for that is um, the upper level winds are what steer the storms. Mm -hmm. Okay, a, a tornado is part of a supercell thunderstorm, right, which the thunderstorm builds up, you know, 40 or 50,000 feet up into the atmosphere. It gets into the upper level winds, which we call the steering winds. Mm. To get conditions that favor supercell development, mm. you generally have a, a southwest to northeast blowing jet stream. Okay. We'll be on that part of the jet. Now, the jet stream can blow in all different directions in Oklahoma. Usually it's from southwest, sometimes the west, sometimes the northwest, sometimes the north. Mm. Being in that part of the trough on that side is is what causes our severe weather and it's usually from southwest to northeast. Mm. So the answer to that question is it's a jet stream. We have fewer tornadoes at night than we do during the day. Is that related to the temperature dropping? Well, I would say that um, the peak time for tornadoes is gonna be um, sometime between it's like 5 p.m. and maybe 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. at night. Now, sometimes the sun will set right around in there. So the peak time for tornadoes is before sunset and maybe just after sunset. Mm -hmm. So I would say maybe we might have a few more tornadoes before dark, but there's a lot of tornadoes that happen just after dark also, mm -hmm. before it cools off too much. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when the sun starts to set, what happens is the low-level wind shear increases. Mm. And there's a, there's a process that, that take a while to explain that. So the low-level wind shear increases dramatically when the sun starts to set and go down because you lose that heating, all right? So the atmosphere decouples. You have stronger winds just above the surface creating more wind shear, right, for rotation for tornadoes. But the temperature's going down, so the energy goes down too. So there's a balance right there. That's why that's probably the best part of the day to get that. So in answer to your question, there might be maybe just slightly less tornadoes after dark, mm -hmm. uh, but the ones that usually happen are usually shortly after dark. Mm -hmm. Not, fortunately, <clears throat> we don't get awakened often at 3 a.m. with the sirens going off or something like that. Right. I would say probably the least likely time for tornadoes is going to be you know, those kind of hours mm -hmm. in the morning, right before the sun comes up, and then shortly after the sun comes up because it's still cool. Mm -hmm. And you need warm temperatures to get the storms. You are uh, being named a distinguished alumnus from the Department of Geography. What does that award mean to you? Well, I mean, I'm honored, you know, to receive that. They called, you know, a couple months ago, and it really took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't even know they offered those awards <laughs> like that. but. Um, you know, OSU was a great place to go to school, and I enjoyed my time here, you know, and uh, felt like I got a really good education. So I'm honored and humbled uh, by the chance to be in that award. Are there any other stories, um, especially from your storm chasing, that you like to tell? I'm sure you get asked questions a lot. Goodness, man, there's just so many, you know, there's so many crazy things that have happened, you know, chasing storms. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of tornadoes mm. over the years. I mean, I've lost count. Mm. People ask me, you know, when we go out and speak at different places, probably the two or three main questions I get asked are, what's the, the worst tornado you've ever seen and how many tornadoes mm -hmm. have you ever seen? 
you know, I'm going to say that we've seen somewhere just shy of a thousand tornadoes, possibly. I mean, I've lost count, but I know it's it's up there, probably close to that. Mm-hmm. We've seen probably four F5s, you know, which are the biggest, and those are really, really rare mm-hmm. uh, tornadoes, you know. And then the chance to work at Channel Line, you know, that's uh, they're a good company to work for. They treat us right. Uh, you know, Gary England, I worked for him for a long time. He's the one that hired me, and then. Um, when he retired, uh, David Payne came on, and David is great to work for as well. I mean, David brings a lot of youthful enthusiasm. I mean, he was a storm chaser for a long time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a very good storm chaser, too. And uh, he knows what storm chasers want and what we need and how we think, and so um, he's good to work for as well. So uh, just feel blessed. I think that the last tornado to do significant damage in Stillwater was the one in 1990. Okay. Were you chasing that one? Yeah. Okay. I just was just curious. I, I, was I, a, I remember that one as a kid. I was nine. It was a pretty bad tornado, and it came right through Stillwater. Yeah. It, it knocked out Skyline Elementary, among okay. other things. Yeah. And I was behind that one. I didn't actually see the tornado. I was maybe 10 minutes behind it. Mm. I came into town that day. Uh, on the west side, and the first thing I remember was there were tree branches covering the roads. Mm -hmm. I mean, on Highway 51 on 6th Street right there, as you come past the hospital, and we we came down that road, and I mean, there was tree branches everywhere. Um, And then as we went further northeast up by, I believe it was the Monticello Apartments at that point, they were damaged heavily. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of damage in that part of town. So... um, yeah, that was in, I believe, in May of 90, wasn't it? It was definitely 1990, and yeah, I think it was May, because okay. I, I, I remember it being right as uh, the school year was ending. Yeah. So. And you know, a couple years ago, I forget the date of it, uh, maybe two or three years ago, there was a tornado just northwest of Stillwater, out by Lake McMurtry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that did damage, that. too. And it's interesting thing about that, me and my wife were chasing and we were in Oklahoma City following a storm that did not produce a tornado, and we see this storm on radar coming towards Stillwater, and of course, uh, we had a storm shelter at our house, and that's where all my kids go, and mm-hmm. we had a babysitter, you know, so I'm telling the babysitter to get all the kids in the cellar, you know, because this thing is west of town. Every one of those kids got to see that tornado that day, and we didn't get to see one. <laughs> they stood outside the door of the cellar. They could see it from like two or three miles away. Matter of fact, I got a picture from my next door neighbor, you know, of my house in the background with the tornado right there. Mm. (laughs) So it's just one of those things. I'd like to thank Val for joining me for this episode, and I congratulate him on both his success and his recognition as a distinguished alumnus. If you'd like to share any feedback about the podcast, you can reach us at pokespodcasts at okstate.edu. And with that, as always, we end by asking our guest, how do the arts and sciences make the world a better place? I can speak from my experiences on how the arts and sciences make the world a better place. My degree in geography, I can tell you this, I learned while I was here at OSU taking geography, I learned a lot about um, physical geography. And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about mapping. both topographic mapping, streets and places, um, and how to read those maps and, and how, how to use those kind of maps. In storm chasing, we use maps extensively. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, how it has helped me is that uh, it has taught me how to, to use maps to help me out in, in my storm chasing. When we're out there chasing, we have to make quick decisions. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's extremely fast paced. And probably the most critical part of all is deciding um, which routes to take, right? If you can just imagine a storm that's moving northeast fairly rapidly, and the roads in Oklahoma go east and north, east and north. Mm -hmm. Some of those roads uh, are good roads, some are not. Some stop, some dead end. Uh, some roads don't go straight in the right direction. Uh, so the, the critical thing is being able to navigate maps and being able to get there quickly. Mm -hmm. So I can say, I mean, I can say without a doubt that having that knowledge uh, has helped save lives mm -hmm. because it, it puts us in the right place at the right time. That's how it's, it's helped us. And I mean, that's a big way. The mapping, the, the mapping and navigating is such a huge part of storm chasing mm -hmm. because without it, we wouldn't even be able to be there to see the tornado, to see the storm, when it's gonna produce a tornado, to warn the public. My degree in geography here has helped me in that regard so much that it pretty much goes hand in hand with meteorology. Thank you.